0: like i kind of like reflecting on bitcoin as more of the like don't worry guys you
1: don't
0: you don't have to like do this impossible task of trying to manage the root economic system that we deal with you can just leave that task to a system that has the right
1: incentive model and balances things out for society hey everybody this is the high hash rate podcast i'm mike and I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either.
2: But it helps. So today, for today's episode, we've got, uh, it's a little different than normal. Uh, we're going to touch on a very specific topic uh, today. We've got a guest named Will Thacker, uh, and too much to jordan peterson's chagrin will is uh gonna remain mostly anonymous here to talk to us about sort of a controversial issue at least in the bitcoin world for sure uh and we want to keep the focus of the conversation on the idea not the people talking about it except for me and mike but uh, yeah we're going to talk about free will uh i'm not talking about will here our guest i'm talking about the deterministic the choices we make do we have a free will do we control our destiny or at least that's what i think we're talking about at a high level will what what is your position what is your um or your thesis here
0: well yeah i mean the initial connection for us discussing it in the first place was just the alignment of uh, the use case of the argument of free will with a lot of beliefs that Bitcoiners typically hold mm-hmm. and obviously like just to like preface that i don't want to in any way suggest that Bitcoiners hold very similar beliefs bitcoin is bitcoin is very much for enemies but in the That's bitcoin true. community that we know and love and we see on a very regular basis like for me i'm very often exposed to very similar worldviews in my experience with bitcoin and so free absolutely. will absolutely and- point or an interesting like philosophical uh, philosophical discussion to bring up because it often changes it, it kind of breaks down some of the worldviews that i see a lot of Bitcoiners have and i nothing i uh, enjoy more than cracking open right. some world views. so yeah
2: yeah yeah Philo- philosopher david hume said that the topic of free will is the most contentious question in metaphysics and on high hash rate we dabble in amateur metaphysical talk so this is probably the perfect uh, conversation to have.
0: The perfect medium, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So when when you if you you say you don't necessarily believe in the con or in free will, can you explain what that means? Does that mean that I can't choose to eat a nacho or or a pizza right now? Like wh- like how do you explain that when people ask you what you mean?
0: Yeah. So. I also just preface: I'm I'm definitely not like a master on on this topic in terms of like being able to recite it. It's definitely something I've just dabbled in and very intrigued by both angles. I definitely lean on the side of we definitely we we don't have free will, okay. uh, and the way I would like lightly describe that is just that. And you're an engineer, so I think engineers typically quite like this. But if you actually just look at the human brain and the human existence that we live in, you can really determine what the inputs are that go into everything we decide to do. So we're kind of an open system in the sense that everything that, that has led us to this point now can be defined as to what led us here. And if you can, as an engineer, you'll know, and if you can define the inputs and the outputs are ultimately deterministic. So it's kind of like can, an algorithm. You, yeah, it's like an algorithm. You can choose to eat pizza right now or to eat a taco but the decision that you'll make that or the the foundation of that decision is based on your nature and nurture and those two inputs are ultimately always going to be the same or your your experience or your nurture is always ever changing with time but it's kind of an open system so yes it's basically this idea that you can't open like a new channel of causality and create a new sort of sense of existence in the world. It's everything that has led you to where you are now is going to lead to everything that will happen to you or other people around you in the future. Uh, And that is, in essence, you aren't determining your outcomes. They're being determined by inputs that
1: we can define. How I do I agree with that. I would, I would say that um, the experience of something does feel like the immediate experience of something does feel like we do have free will but perhaps the looking back on it it's there is no free will because it's like it has already happened it's obvious that that would happen like where does that line meet i'm sort of trying to wrestle that
0: yeah that's why it's often like spoken about in the sense of like the illusion of free will because it's kind of everything feels like we have free will in the moment like in in this moment i i feel like i'm choosing what i want to say but if you boil everything down to the initial sense of existence i've ever had my outcomes are always kind of being determined as they were they were and like this i i think like the actual debate of it is kind of it it, it kind of rests on that sense that if you can define the if you can define the inputs you can define the outputs and the the intrigue of it and most of the topic of conversation that comes from it is the idea of like well, what does this change in most people's worldview? And it's mostly around like moral and ethical issues. Yeah. And the reason that's interesting is for me, it basically and the reason we resonated on the is because that to me shifts my worldview and, and perception on a lot of or perspective on a lot of like political decisions or the systems that we build as humans. Um and with a lot of Bitcoin, is that might be discussions around taxation. So,
2: yeah. And uh, I think these
0: things become interesting. But yeah.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I definitely want to get into the implications of this idea at some point uh, in this show. But I want to start by saying like, so I use like a very silly example of pizza or nachos. Um, but the, simple choices like that whether it's free will or not, those are like pretty inconsequential for the most part, generally speaking, what yeah. like when it comes to larger questions about, you know, very, very consequential decisions that you make or plans for the future, things like things like that. Do you, how do you approach daily life? Do you think about the fact that, you know, free will is not so much a, A real thing, or do you kind of try to just put yourself in situations and environments that will affect you, in your opinion, positively, so that in the future, when you get to that point where you're, you know, you think you're making a big, crucial decision, that whatever course you actually take was informed by your recent experience or just your life experience how does it how does it affect you and the way you think and the way you make decisions
0: yeah so i i often when people first like confront this idea it usually leads to like a sense of nihilism of like what's the point like if i'm not if i'm not authoring my own destiny then why why am i even bothering but to me it doesn't create that same sort of outlook to me it kind of creates the outlook of like it, it, what it does to me i guess on the top level perspective it, it more removes the feeling of like guilt shame or or pride so like a lot of people they feel such a sense of like personal achievement or they feel a sense of personal shame in things that happen to them in their life but when you recognize that you don't have free will it kind of removes a lot of that sense of like not personal responsibility but i mean yeah personal responsibility in a sense because like the like you said with the nachos debate or that that piece like the easier way to like reflect on that this idea is with way bigger stuff way more aggressive stuff that would be like highly ethical issues so like in the case of like psychopathy or like people who have done egregious acts of like something awful in society the way we see those things as ethical like questions is interesting and like the typical ones that are debated around like there's a story of someone who had a brain tumor which led him to kill people based on that and then when they recognized that it changed the ethics of that discussion because you could say oh well if he was if the brain tumor changed the state of his brain was he really responsible for the acts that he committed based on that illness And most people, you confront that where they say, oh, like, no, I could forgive him for that. Like, we shouldn't punish him for that. But you could, in the same way a brain tumor is existing in that state, this, this sense of psychopathy in, in a normal or in another person's brain is no different than a brain tumor. It's just the way they were constructed with their DNA and their experience. But we have a very difficult, a different ethical response to that right. situation.
2: Right. So a brain tumor is just a very obvious thing that you can point to and say, this was affecting how his brain was functioning and how he made decisions. It's very more, it's much more difficult to calculate all of the experiences somebody had in their past to say that this yeah. led to this decision being made. It's like another one that like you brought up the brain tumor. And I think, so I've only dabbled in this idea very briefly and it wasn't even that recently it was but it was when sam harris had a book about the illusion i think it was called the illusion of free will uh so i read a little bit of that and so i i kind of i know some of the arguments or some of the theory behind it a little bit and it's i yeah. don't disagree with it all um and we'll get to that but like another like uh, oj simpson you know people talk about or some people, it's not like a super common thing, but he was a football player. He played in the NFL for years and he suffered, like many American football players do, a lot of head trauma. And head trauma, uh, like uh, a CTE is what it's called. It One of the major side effects is like very impulsive rage. Like you just get angry about something and you just impulsively do something violent. So killing his, his wife and her lover would, fit that if he were in that you know in that situation and he in fact did do it but yes but to fast forward a little bit where do you sit on the idea of like the moral responsibility criminal um, culpability when it comes to basically all crime basically anytime there's a victim and yeah somebody, like, i mean yeah, like,
0: totally, of i'd say i'm like really hard on like the deterministic side so personally like personally i'd say i lean very much on like to me like you i think there's like there is a spectrum of how hard people think the, de- like the de- determinism is but for me i'm like really hard on it so like when it comes to criminals and the idea of evil in human beings i don't really hold a lot of blame to like horrific act, horrific acts it kind of all just seems like it's based on people's inputs so like <clears throat> and it's it's hard to have a lot of these conversations because they, they can be brutal topics but on the topic of like what we would see as the most sick acts people can undergo you can boil them down a lot of times to certain inputs that you I can't feel a sense of blame toward those individuals so like like
2: Adolf Hitler,
0: I mean, for example. Like, yeah, or like an easier example. Adolf Hitler is a hard one. It's it's yeah. a hard one. Or a big. It's a bigger one. But yeah, yeah. The one I would say is like the ones that go like the go down is like sexual attraction toward other beings. Like I'm a very lucky man in the sense that I'm sexually attracted toward women. If you were born and you're sexually attracted toward children, you could. This is another this is another brain tumor story around that with someone who the the brain tumor in their brain changed the element of sexual desire in their brain. And the ethical question of that was shifted. But in the same way, if you're born into a life where that is your desire, that's an unfortunate like truth for that person. And then if they're born into a life where their experience from their parenting, their experience guides them to act in a way that they've been educated to be evil or disgusting or abhorrent in society, their experience is what gave them the idea that there was, they should act upon certain behavior and you can kind of boil it down in all those ways. And you can look at any kind of crime or any kind of outrageous act. Right. And if you don't believe in free will, like if you're, you could be an incredibly successful person, you wouldn't see a difference or a sense of authorship to becoming the most successful person in society's eyes or the most abhorrent person in society's eyes. So that doesn't change like, how you deal with those people within a society, but it does change the idea of play. So like, I don't have this anger towards someone who's done something that's disgusting. I I almost have a more sense of pity because that's had to be their truth and their reality. Like I'm very fortunate that my reality is actually quite blessed and, and easy. And my experience is easy and pleasant. If I was born into a life that led me down a path where my experience was atrocious mm-hmm. my life would be a lot worse so no yeah so it, i i lean very far on that side. Sure.
2: So, so, like it. It, yeah so kind of like a summary is that there still needs to be some sort of accountability and protection from people who would be victimized by somebody who has demonstrated violence or uh just certain predatory uh actions but yeah. you do, you just don't think that you don't look at that and think, oh, I hate him. I hope he you know, burns in hell and spends the rest of his life in prison. You're like, that's unfortunate um, that his well, yeah, I, is, I, it's a very, tra- mentioned- it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy.
0: Yeah, it is ultimately. Like you, you mentioned uh, the Sam Harris book as well. I've, I've listened mm-hmm. to a lot of his stuff. One of the ones he mentions is like uh, an elephant was let out and stamps, like trampled a, m- a bunch of people and they lynched the elephant and they like wanted to like destroy the elephant and ethically it looks bizarre because you'd look Mm. at like these people trying to torture an elephant and you'd be like, that's a bizarre thing to do. But that's because we see elephants and other natural beings as these like very like systematic, they just worked on it, work on instinct. And we see ourselves as so far removed from that kind of existence, but really we may have more consciousness and more complexity within our brains but it's not really any different if you're going to go commit an absolutely egregious crime the reasons you're doing that aren't really determined by you and like it's often based on extreme pain like and you can feel a sense of anger towards those people but if you actually just look and boil it down like the stats on a lot of people's existences are based on really sad situations that Mm -hmm. that that created them a lot of rape a lot of like abuse is oftentimes just repeated trauma and like if you boil it down you usually don't have the same ethical response or moral response to those individuals when you really look at it in a more empathetic way and this kind of goes down that this is all sort of along that line of free will. so
1: so, so yeah, where, where, oh, I ahead. have a question. Though. Where where do ideas and and thinking itself come into view with this sort of uh, no free will scenario for you?
0: Well, yeah, like I, I, ideas and thinking. Like a good point of that is like, funny enough, AI is actually quite an easy way to like also. It's quite analogous to a lot of this. If you look at an AI and how you train a neuron, that it's. It's kind of, again, it's an input that creates an output. So you look at a Dali-type system. If you trained a Dali model on only Picasso paintings and that's what you associated the word paintings with and then you asked it to do a painting of something, it would create an image that looks exactly like a Picasso because that's all it's ever known. In the same way that if a baby was born and for the first five years of of its life you showed it a bunch of paintings that looked like a Picasso and it, it only knew that a Picasso was what a painting was that's the only input and let's be really extreme that's the only input that they would have as to reference to a painting that's probably what they would create a painting like like we often like especially in the design world and art world you often think about how it's like oh are you just referenced something or are you just copying it but everything really is just an amalgamation of things you've experienced and seen and concocted and created in the new output but ultimately there's no like new chain of thought that's completely innovative. It's kind of just creations upon one another that we've had and developed over years. So ideas are mostly there. Yeah, there are brains creating.
2: They're pulling them from the ether. There's no such thing as a a novel thought, right? It's like something that people say. Uh, So back, back to the topic we're on a few seconds ago. So the reason I asked about the moral responsibility and, you know, how to handle criminals and violence and stuff uh, is because I think that a lot of people who would consider themselves advocates of the concept of that we do have free will, whether they have really thought it out, you know, through all the way to its logical conclusion or not. I think the, the concern is that when people Start talking like you are, that it's going to lead towards uh, just letting everybody do whatever they want. It's not their fault. And I I think that that's mostly one of the top concerns that they have. And that's why they react so uh, emotionally to this type of conversation. But I think there's also a little bit of hypocrisy in that in that mindset as well um because if you think about what do we do i me and mike were both in the military what do you do to the you know when you're in a boot camp you're a marine it's you know it's brainwashing they brainwash them they teach them like if somebody comes over that that hill you shoot them you just like your tra- your 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 muscle memory everything is trained so as soon as something happens you sh- you don't even think it's muscle memory you react you kill if you're yeah. training martial arts, it's like over and over and over. You're doing takedowns, strikes. If they do this, you do this. You you don't even think about it anymore. It's an instinctual reaction to an objective, to uh, you know, trying to to fight that person, to defeat the enemy, whatever. And the way we raise our kids, right? Like way that you're structuring their education, their extracurriculars, every aspect of their life, you're structuring in a certain way, like certain parents, you know, they're very uh, focused on this and it's, you know, there's a reason they're doing that. They know, especially children, like the way that their, their minds are formed at an early age is going to, is going to have a outsized impact on who they are as an adult. And so I think that, that there's this implicit recognition that there is at, at least, even if you don't believe that there is no free will whatsoever, um, that there is this implicit belief through, and you can tell it's demonstrated through their actions, that there is some element of predetermination based on how you were, how you were raised and the experiences you had, especially when you were young. Yeah, and this
0: is, I think like it, yeah this is exactly the idea that your influence or your experience is defining your future effectively and like that's how we most likely boil it down or want to think about it from the perspective of improving our lives and like i didn't answer that question you asked earlier around like how how do i position myself with with the recognition of not having free will for me it's mostly like i mentioned that i use it in a sense of like i don't feel overly proud or Overly shameful in certain instances in my life. But also, like, yeah, like you've become very aware that your experience is very much going to determine things for you. So, like, you might want to control what inputs you take in. Like, it, there isn't some new stream of thought that's going to define your outcomes. If you really can, with now I've had this experience and sort of understanding this, I can use it, this experience to try and now optimize my inputs. Mm-hmm. So, that's how I kind of use it on a daily basis. It's just more that. I don't I don't feel sentimentalism from it. But like you said, like they, they do that in the army because it works. Like you can influence the way a system works very well when you create re- repeated behavior. And that's effectively what parent parenting is doing. And like to me, this is why like I know we're probably gonna get to this point, but like this is why you have to have a lot more empathy to a lot of people in the world. Like if their experience isn't High quality, their outcomes are unfortunately deterministically going to be not high quality either, Um, and that's like the the root. To me, if you do believe this, then you bait. It's kind of it would be crazy to me to not be more empathetic to more people in the world. Sure, because I think a lot of people like in the a lot of the reasons I hear from like ultra libertarians or like anarcho capitalists is the idea of just complete self responsibility. And the idea that, you know, you can just, you should just be able to change your outcomes. But to me, like when I reflect on that, that's like, oh, it's almost insulting to suggest that to certain people when their inputs are so dire. Um, so yeah, that's like, that's the interesting topic from, from, from when it comes to formation of societies.
1: I, I have a thought about this. Uh, so I feel as though I used to have a lot more empathy in my life and then I moved, and where I moved to, uh, the homeless population came to, like just just exploded. There was just so many. Everywhere you go, yep. there's there's someone who's homeless. And so I used to th- think I'm an empathetic person. I I tried to reach out to people who were you know less fortunate or whatever, and. Uh, when I moved there I was accosted several times and suddenly I'm I I have to optimize I have to optimize for uh for being you know not empathetic like aggressive or put off or I have basically I have to move past do you see where I'm Mm -hmm. going with this
0: I I mean this is a really great one so homelessness is actually just, yeah, it's a a brilliant topic in terms of seeing how people are empathetic with it, because oftentimes people lose empathy, the more they're exposed to homelessness, because assuming homelessness can often lead to aggression within the streets or just having bad experiences on the streets. And a lot of cities in the West Coast of America are obviously going to be experienced with that. If you live pretty much anywhere on the West Coast, you're going to be experiencing a lot of, of those encounters. And the more you deal with it, the harder it is to maintain that sense of empathy, because I mean, I've had many experiences with this, and like, I've definitely been very much like shifted from high empathy to low empathy based on my experiences in my in my world. But um, and it's usually like instant like stories that have happened in my life that will have effects on that. But homeless is an interesting one because there's a doctor in Vancouver called Gabe Marte. who's written a lot about homelessness, and he worked with the homeless population of Vancouver for like 15 years. I think he said he. He made the claim or stated that 50% of the homelessness in Vancouver, which is really extreme, by the way. I don't know if you know much about Vancouver and Canada, but it's really high homeless population. It's really high density. Um, He stated that 50% of the homeless people in, in Vancouver were sexually abused as children. So, like, it's just like an instant example of like, oh, if I go one layer deeper here, like if I want to like lose my sense of empathy toward those people, it's very easy to do that because I mean, an example of my life is I've been on a bus. My girlfriend was spat on in the most disgusting way. It was an appalling (laughs) event in my life. And like, obviously I had a sense of anger and wanting to deal with the situation in the moment, but like more on a broad spectrum, like I definitely have a sense of empathy to like people who are in that situation um whereas it's it's obviously a lot easier to not acknowledge the reality of that situation and i think again like homelessness is something people think you can solve with money and housing but oftentimes it's it's a, it's a whole lot deeper than that
2: yeah and i actually would argue that you're not you you don't necessarily have to become less empathetic because of those experiences i think it's perfectly fine to avoid certain situations to protect yourself knowing the consequences of being around somebody in that situation or somebody in that state not stopping to give them money or to help them or anything that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're losing empathy it would in my opinion the negative effect would be for you to then you know go home when you're in a safe environment and then start stewing about your like how we need to just take bulldozers and just all those people into the ocean or something like that you know it's just like i'm just gonna avoid ah, this exactly. part of town because they're gonna hurt you. They, they might spit on me or they might try to steal my wallet because that's what's gonna happen that's just a reaction that is you know that's just a situation i'm gonna get myself into and yeah, just so like you know.
0: see the people right like i think like if you can help if you gr- develop a sense of anger toward a group of people i mean that's a quick way to start a lot of atrocities in societies so like it's it's usually it's 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 usually a tool to recognize that, like, you shouldn't see yourself as above another group, which some people can do, and this is what homelessness people or homeless people often have anger towards: is that they're treated like a lower form of society, right? Um, and like, and yes, yeah, that doesn't mean yeah, you people- should. <coughs> go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. no, I was gonna I, say. I, I, I,
2: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I was just gonna say that there is also plenty of examples of people who were had great beginnings of their lives, were relatively or even objectively successful, who had a situation occur, some sort of trauma that ultimately changed their lives forever and they become, you know, what they would yeah. consider like, you know, uh, something that they looked down upon to, you know, before that
0: yeah, cause it's very easy to boil that situation down to like, oh, like it's just a housing problem. But there are lots of homeless people that actually have a lot of money in their accounts. it's it's', it's a lot of the time it's based on other externalities or other realities in their lives, right. Um, they're
2: using drugs to to not think about a trauma that happened to them there's, yeah, there's or it could just yet.
0: be the sense of what do they feel they deserve. Like some people can have a trauma that leads them to believe they don't deserve. A quality of living anyway this is like the homelessness topic is is, it's a deep one but like it's a great example of like looking at all the different the highs and the lows of what we see in society and if you don't believe in free will and you just believe like your outcome was deterministic their outcome is deterministic and it kind of leads you to ask other questions like what does a human being deserve and like the fact that i was born with an intelligent brain and great parenting does that mean i deserve a higher quality of living with other people like it it opens these sort of these these questions which are kind of interesting in my opinion
2: um so you've mentioned you know inputs algorithm like computers ai so do you think that there is that we are going to get to a point or that there is even a path to this where we could have a A model or an experiment that we could test a hypothesis that we could test to have a theory on this or it will ever get to a point where we can demonstrate um whether we have free will or not
0: i don't know to be honest
2: and i brought
0: up i think it will just be mostly
2: an ethical and philosophical
0: discussion sure sure where's the where's
1: the i just gotta ask where's the input side of this equation because it seems like the everything is basically faded. nature and nurture. yeah like there has to be i think there has to be some sort of balance between these two giant questions whether it's it's nature or nurture i feel like you, one it's can't both. exist without the other
0: yeah yeah it would be it would definitely be both the nature it's your it's your nature and your nurture
1: your genetics
0: and your experience of one side of the equation and the output is the other so they both have an an immediate effect like you could be born with a complete gift that leads you to an incredible life even though you have a a terrible is that
1: not a random thing that it happens right that's like a random It's,
0: it's 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 mostly that it's it's that's also part of the deterministic piece right like if you can define what the nature is in, in in all the same ways, right It's just this idea of like a chain of causality throughout time and space yeah. every one thing leads to another. everything can kind of be just deterministic. you can't create a new sense. okay, it.
1: okay okay, I could say this. do we know that the a millionth block has been mined yet? Has that exi- does that exist?
0: Yeah, the idea of like true predeterminism is I think more like I don't really know how I stand on that like I could easily see how. If something is like, if you could map out, right? Like, if a rock is falling down a slope right now, if I could map out exactly where that will end in a certain amount of time, like, you could argue if I dropped a a rock off of the Grand Canyon, I could determine where it's going to be in the next minute. Like, that's a kind of like a a conceivable way to understand that. Like, it might hit a few more rocks, it might bounce. It's kind of determined. If you, if you it's, it's obviously quite abstract to think about, but that same sense of predeterminism of that output isn't that different than all of our lives on a grand scheme. We even yeah. talked about this about the idea of time is just a bunch of atoms, like how a physical thing is just really a bunch of atoms that maintain their position over through space and time for a long period. I Glad how you brought it's that a bunch up. Meat bags that move, like really, like our lives are very sure but to us they feel very long
2: and, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought up time yeah. and it's uh because we talk about that on the show all the time and so that's where i was about to go next with this. but before i do like i just wanted to say the whole if you want to watch kind of what you were going with with your question mike watch the movie butterfly effect with uh
1: i've seen guy it from oh, yeah exactly right it. like yeah,
2: right? The butterfly, fly, like a butterfly flaps its wings off the coast of Africa and then a hurricane hits. Right,
1: but right? here's the thing is he has to flap the wings, right? So everything is determined, but the thing... Well, it's like the Big Bang, right?
2: That a... initial flash and then everything after right. that is, is determined. Is, yeah, and so what, so what every we talked about... On yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, no, yeah.
2: What we, we talked about a few episodes ago that according to Carlo Rovelli, the physicist, that there is no... Yeah. There is no difference. Yeah,
1: you have a hard on. <laughs> no, it's I,
2: I really love that book. There is no, no difference.
1: I, I bought it. I'm, I started reading it. It's, yeah. very good. it's very
2: good. It said one is that there is no thing. Reality should not be looked at as objects, right? It's all moments in time. And that there is no difference between the past and the present. Or excuse me, the past and the future, except for how we um, how we view it for the the way that we're able to to take that input in, and we and we we see what seems like change when it's really just these predetermined reactions, because all these atoms are all reacting to each other everywhere in the universe, and there's all happening at different times, and so you're just kind of going through these reactions in time, and that's just what's going to happen is is a matter of physics it's not really a matter of
1: can i give a visual a visualization so there is a linear path of time in a premiere pro file right we can see it we can visualize it it exists and it's predetermined we know we can run it backward we can run it forward we can speed it up we can slow it down but the there is a choice in all of those measures. And even that choice is based on previous choices that have been made. So, you know, I, I see that all those choices could have been predeterministic, but you still have to, I think there is there. I, it's not that I don't believe that everything is predeterministic. It's that I also believe that everything has to be uh, sort of happen, like, you know, not predeterministic. <laughs> I think there has, there, well, something has an to spark an equal relationship. relationship chain of causality. Yes. the, spark, the like, big Yeah, thing. but like yeah, I think
0: it's mostly the like reflection on what we perceive as a long period of time that would be hard to map. And the the reason I use the rock example is because like we could all reasonably just assume what would happen if we kicked a pebble along a road, but we think it would be preposterous to try and predict over hundred years of a lifetime how hard it would be to try and map that out. But it's like if you see those time lapses of like from the Big Bang to where we are now, like on the grand scale of time that the universe will ever experience, we are just a mere blip in that thing. And like to a more conscious being or a more intelligent form of consciousness, it might seem like kicking down a rock to them. But to us, it seems like such a huge system to try and map out that predeterminism seems ridiculous. But yeah, if, if we do... Like obliged to the laws of physics of just inputs and outputs, and we're just biological brain states. Then you can say it's it's all going to be effectively predetermined. So, Which I personally, yeah. I mean, like back to the life thing. Like this is, I kind of love it. It just it makes me realize that life is just this bizarre thing that we're all experiencing. I'm here for gonna. I'm gonna be here for a certain amount of years and. Like, it's pretty much just like, enjoy the ride. I don't know what's going to happen. And if it happens, it's fine. I'm not going to feel a major sense of pride or shame either way. And it kind of removes this idea of like pressure for me in terms of like the reflection on it.
2: Yeah, I think that um, maybe 10 years ago or so, so a little bit of background. I grew up very religious, or at least from a very religious background. Uh, and then in my early 20s, I was like, I just threw all that away. I'm like, I don't, this is nonsense. I don't believe this stuff. It's bullshit. And I, I went through nihilism. I went through depression. I went through all that stuff. And I and I went through all these thoughts about kind of is free will a real thing? Do, is, does anything matter? And then I kind of came to this conclusion that the only thing that matters is what you say matters. It's up to you. Like you give yourself a purpose, you give everything meaning, and that's the only meaning that exists. Right. And so part of me has this, uh, this feeling that whether or not I can prove it and whether or not the arguments that you just made today are very uh, influential to how I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, I can't really argue with a lot of what he's saying. Part of me wants to believe and will always want to believe that there is an element of free will. And I think if you look at a lot of religions, they're all kind of, whether they say that explicitly or not, kind of thinking along those same lines. And it, I, I think Plato said about free will he said, once an individual is mastered, oneself only then can they express free will and then you look at like the buddha and like transcending and getting to nirvana and 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 all these people who talk about these religions they talk about going through suffering and like you finally get to this transcendent point where you can let those all of the traumas everything that happened to you in your past just kind of like still be true and then still try to over, you know, overcome them or surpass them. And even like Sam Harris, so Sam Harris wrote that book about the illusion of free will. And then in the past few years, he's been a big advocate of mindfulness and meditation and kind of taking your experience and everything around you, seeing it objectively, letting it, letting those thoughts pass and then trying to make the right decision and, and think the right way to have a better future or to have a better present even so i think that there is just like a lot of the met a lot of the metaphysical religious thinkers are kind of acknowledging a lot of what we talked about today and still trying to find a way to make the right decisions every moment forward from that point yeah well yeah i agree
0: with you in terms of well, go ahead
1: michael no i was going to say i i think that it lives on a scale i think it has to live on a scale free will because and i think it lives because you can kind of look at it economically right it's like um the more money you have the more free will you have in in terms of the experience of life i would say because experiencing the thing does feel different feels new doesn't feel deterministic perhaps it is it doesn't but that there is a separation between that feeling and the fact that it could be deterministic am i going anywhere with this i
0: don't know if money has anything to do with it to be honest i think like because you can equally have wealth and i mean especially with free will i think what we were kind of leaning into there is more like self-management of life and how to have a nice perspective over your daily life and existence. And I think that's where like tools like meditation are used as a way to help you live uh, a better life, I guess, just a more, a more insufferable like, life in a sense, not to be <laughs> negative, but um, money, you know, money can play on both sides on that. It, obviously, I wouldn't say it leans to free will. I'm also, I would say, I think I struggle with this debate because I definitely do see the free will debate as much as it's not discussed in this way. To me, it does feel very much like a binary thing. You either believe it or you don't. There's, there's, there's people who believe in soft determinism, but to me, it's always very much felt like you believe in it or you don't. That's why I think I also lean on the predeterminism side as well. But, um, I think money can equally. There's like there's countless examples where money can have neg- equal, equally negative effects as positive effects on on a life.
2: I w- and I would add to that that maybe there is some correlation, although it's not a direct effect with when it comes to money. That if you have money, a lot of it or whatever excess, then you do tend to have if you want it more time to instead not focus on survival not focus on doing whatever you have to do just to make it to the next day just to make it to your next meal and you have more time to sit and, and process your past your experiences and, and make whether those choices are free or not better choices so to speak doesn't mean you will but it yeah, you, saying, you it might have mean more time but you might have yeah. more time to, to to make a better decision instead of just instinctively I, surviving.
0: I definitely lean on, on that that's definitely the right or an accurate depiction of that narrative in the sense that like money problems that exist for a huge portion of society are a lot worse for people to deal with. But I don't think that necessarily means that a lot of people who have the money to have time Necessarily enjoy their experience. I actually think sometimes when money buys you time and free time, people don't know how to just even exist with themselves. And this is why tools like meditation become important because if they have the time, that level of. I mean, this is why you have the stories of like just the miserable millionaires and the miserable billionaires because they don't know. They have all that space to just like be confused as to what they're doing. If you're constantly hunting for your next. Like stepping stone, the hedonistic journey that life is for a lot of people in society. Like, I think there's unfortunately a weird sense of comfort in that. Um, right. Like, although, like... of course, you definitely have more people who explore topics of life and meaning when you sure. can't explore those without wealth a lot of the time. Not entirely true and not true throughout history, but there's a lot of examples of like Buddhas and like historical thinkers who were also you know, princes and had extreme wealth to, to be able to have the time to explore this topic.
2: Right. And, you know, like suicide is kind of a an epidemic of the Western developed wealthy nations, right? Like you don't have these yeah. high suicide rates in the most poor emerging markets. I mean, people do it, but it's not, you know, it's much more common among. Interesting, them. I don't know that. But yeah, I can imagine it's, yeah, to do with that. Meaning
0: becomes very confusing when you don't have religions that have implanted meaning into your life for you. And finding individual meaning is an incredibly difficult thing to do. So it's, yeah, it's definitely something that can confuse a lot of people.
2: So all of you know this discussion, to ask the question, ec- let's get into the economics now how does Bitcoin not fix this, but how does it create a fairer world based on the way that you see?
0: Well, I've got a fun, I've got a fun point there. So I think, so if you, when you go back to like free will again. So, I mean, I think we obviously, and all the listeners this podcast is going to have the same sort of viewpoint on how Bitcoin makes the world more fair and improves the world, generally speaking. Um, just by the sense of having an egalitarian money that can't be manipulated by a small group of people, it by nature does that. The interesting take I would have on this, though, the free will thing, is the systems that we've created throughout history, including the fiat money system, I don't see that as something of this just evil thing that people find so hor- like horrific and appalling and corrupt. I kind of just see it as it made sense in the time that it was created, and you can't just combust a system that exists in the world without creating a huge amount of destruction with it so i don't see that thing oh that system is something that's so bad and again i also don't think the people who lead it or chair it up are these evil people they're kind of just being determined by their experiences like the cantillion effect is a good like thing of a, a good reflection of that the people who are making those decisions Unfortunately, their experience is what's influencing their decisions and their experience is around the people who are going to be reaping the rewards from that effect. And it's kind of a no brainer as to why that happens. Bitcoin solves that because it removes the need. Like I kind of like reflecting on Bitcoin as more of the like, don't worry, guys, you don't have to like, do this impossible task of trying to manage the root economic system that we deal with. You can just leave that task to a system that has the right incentive model and balances things out for society. It's not like a Bitcoin is this fight to take down this evil, awful system that was placed to destroy the wealth of everyone. As much as it is doing that, and that's why like I personally find importance in Bitcoin, it is taking from people who have less and providing to people who have more by the nature of that system. Bitcoin essentially relinquishes the need for that to exist. So that's how Bitcoin doesn't solve it, but it's how Bitcoin sits beside it and exists within this framework of thinking.
2: I Would you agree that there's a little bit of irony in the, the people who would be most inclined to feel very proud of where they've, worked hard to get to in life are typically the ones who are in charge of the fiat system who are uh kind of just probably destroying the world in the mind yeah I don't have any
0: hatred to them yeah because i just like they're just part of their system like if i grew up in that world i'd probably be similar i mean i would be similar i would be the same in my in my opinion so like whatever it led me to the way i've found bitcoin and seen its importance is the same way that if i grew up in new york and was raised on wall street i'd probably want to be leading the federal reserve and i kind of just don't see these things as evils; just better solutions and bitcoin is just a better solution and this is like this is i think this is a root to a lot of my feelings around the bitcoin community it's like why we don't need to lean on hatred as a way to drive forward i just think we've we've literally just created a better solution like right. It's it's a it's a problem solver, and we don't need it. Need it to be some uh, force of destruction, but really, like a peaceful offering of let's remove a bunch of work that is needs to be done with the system that we have right now and make it way easier.
2: What what do you think is the is the cause of the extreme animosity towards the system that you? heck are kind of agnostic about it you're like i don't hate it it's you know it is the system what do you think causes yeah. this like extreme emotion <clears throat> emotional reaction towards it well because of the destruction the system
0: does like it's not like it's not hard to see the destruction of the fear system for certain people like by debasing the currency and having the debt model that we have you essentially can debase any, or also it's, it's, it's typically lower income groups that save in dollars and have less assets. So we are quite literally, by printing money, we're taking from those people who save in money or in US dollars, and we're increasing all financial assets and the people who own the financial assets reap the rewards. So I think that the anger comes from seeing that system and being like, this is a fucking joke. <laughs> I, like it's not hard to kind of be angry about it. And then when you look at it from like the authoritarian side of things, you look at other regimes and governments that are a whole lot worse than the liberal democracies that we're exposed to. It's absolutely atrocious and way more appalling. and from what I can tell way more tactical and strategic um so I think like the anger and the animosity just comes from that perspective. and I think the free will thing is kind of just an interesting point. Like if you believe in that argument then, you don't really see it the way of like in the sense of the evil you just see it as it is what it is and we can solve it
2: but i guess yeah. i guess the point i was trying to make i didn't make it well was the you know it's kind of an admission that there's at least some uh, um flexibility in their in people's beliefs about free will because like what, like you said, the destruction of the, you know, the poor especially, right? Like a lot of people would say, well, you're poor, it's your fault. Like you you made bad choices. You you know, why would you be so angry at a system that's hurting people who are making the choice to be hurt? Right. But it's kind of an implicit admission that like, it's not, it's not their fault. You know, like they're being destroyed by a system that is harming them and it's not their fault. Yeah. Do
1: do you think that there's like a, sort of fiat might be like a dying civilization and uh and bitcoin is sort of a creation of a new one that's what it made me think Uh, i'm not i don't think i'm as i don't think i lean on the side
0: that like for bitcoin to enter the world we need like a global depression for it to enter if that's what you're sort of talking about i kind of more lean on the perspective that it will just slowly make its entrance into groups that need it the most Like the global south is clearly going to be the adopter of Bitcoin because you can't be an entrepreneur in Africa in certain regions because you can't create something and sell it for the value and store that value. So those people are in dire need of any kind of solution. And that's like Bitcoin is the obvious solution there. So like there are a bunch of companies working on that sort of kind of improvement, but I don't think like the US government's just going to one day, you know, fold over and be completely destroyed. I think it's going to be a gradual, a really gradual process. I don't think I'm as optimistic on the idea of like instant hyper-Bitcoinization. Some people are in the space. I think it's going to be a very slow migration over to a better form of money. And yeah, I think that answers the question. I forgot what the exact wording was.
2: Yeah, I would say it's more of like Darwinian, like a survival of the fittest. Uh, Yeah. It slowly overtakes the weaker system. And just, it survives over time. It's more adaptable. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, more resilient. And
0: like places that are are way more dying than us will take it way faster. And I don't think the US will take it up. I don't think the US will do a horrific job of maintaining the US dollar. They have all the powers that they have with the resources they have. and Like, it's essentially, to me, the uptake of Bitcoin is essentially a complete reflection of the like degradation of each fiat system. So like if Venezuela or Argentina are destroying their currency at a faster rate, Bitcoin will be taken up at a faster rate. If the U S dollar manages to maintain the U S dollar at a reasonable rate, Bitcoin won't be moving very fast within the U S or in Canada or in England. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's the perfect use case of Bitcoin is to use it where it's needed. And there are places in the world where it's very much needed.
1: Is is Bitcoin being used in places that need it much more than Africa. one would think?
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's it's really doing, it, like the adoption in Africa is really interesting. I kind of really want to go and actually see it for myself. But in places where there's no other choice, the, like the actual use case of Bitcoin is so obvious. So I don't know if I necessarily believe the numbers that are coming out of El Salvador. The numbers are suggesting that 20% of the population have used Bitcoin. That seems like an absolutely enormous uptake. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) like, if that's true, that's huge. But if
2: if it's true, it's because they gave everybody $30 for free to down uh, worth of Bitcoin for free to download the Chivo app when it launched. So I think that everybody spent that, you know.
0: Yeah, to think of the actual numbers of people who would even be comfortable using Bitcoin at this point in, in terms of age demographics, twenty percent of a society would seem absolutely insane to me. But yeah, if it, maybe it's the chivo thing. Yeah. Um but from what I'm seeing that's coming out of Africa, it seems like there is a promising
2: uptick and yeah. use case. Um yeah. I uh I'm glad you brought Africa up because uh I think that a lot is going on there. Um and it's because it's, it's almost like poetic, right? Like, like everybody's looking the other way. Nobody's looking at Africa. Nobody's watching Africa for anything. Um, if, once we get the resources, we leave, right? Like we just exploit the shit out of that continent we have for centuries. But uh, Paxful uh, is really driving hard over there. They just had a, the conference in Ghana. That was a, Jack Dorsey was there. Uh, Strike is now um, allowing direct to bank payments in like five countries in Africa that he announced this week. Uh, when I was in El Salvador, I met the uh, founder of Machankura and I've been in touch with him. He's a great guy. He's created a phone. Like, so you could have like a phone from 2002 that doesn't have any smart, he doesn't have internet, anything, uh, but they can use the lightning network now via SMS. So all you have to have is cell service. Um, I think there's, I don't remember the stat, but there was almost maybe four companies in the entire continent where you could make cross border payments up until this year. And now strike and all these lightning companies are exploding everywhere. And like businesses, entrepreneurs, they're they're making sales all over the continent. It's like it's just it's really, really uh exciting what's going on there. Love to hear it.
1: I want to get out of myself to save myself, um, but yeah, so, that's like the promising aspect to me. So it feels like it's it's growing very fast in those in those parts. I wonder why the uptake is so slow. Just because you said they need it, right? The the, the actual like funny thing with
0: Bitcoin and the difficult thing with Bitcoin is that Bitcoin doesn't solve all the problems immediately. The on ramp is the second piece of this whole puzzle. So like. The typical rebuttal are like, oh, why, why is Bitcoin not actually solving any problems? Is that the communities that actually need Bitcoin, they can't actually find on-ramps that support their needs. They can't just go and trade their random currency for Bitcoin because they're unbanked and they can't just use any like on-ramp to actually acquire the Bitcoin in the first place. So you have to have these kind of circular economies that take a long time to, to, to sort of grow it within those communities. And you also need someone to like uh, deliver an olive branch that enables that. Like that's why the Federman protocol is a really interesting one, because there's federations that can bring Bitcoin into communities and allow individuals within those communities to use it. Um, but yeah, like like one of the major flaws of Bitcoin right now is is that the communities that need it the most can't actually access Bitcoin. They can't acquire it to start transacting amongst them. And obviously a form of money requires a certain level of penetration of a market to be functional and usable um, as a medium of exchange. So that's the biggest challenge, but yeah, it's cool to see these companies actually really focusing on that. And that's why like the Fedeman Protocol is actually like a really promising and exciting thing. They're very much, they're working with like activist groups that are making that a lot easier to access for the places that need the most.
1: So where do these, where do you think these, um, countries where do they, what do they look like in like 20, 30 years from now? What do you think? Well, basically like
0: in my opinion, entrepreneurship is one of the most beautiful things humans have the ability to create something and the ability to like sell it and store value and trade it amongst peers is a huge thing for developing great communities. So, without a like a middle form of money that enables that, you can't really create a developing society. You can't actually create a flourishing society, and you can't create a healthy social economy. And that's essentially like this is why I'm also very excited about like what Jack Dorsey does. Like their whole reflection was they built Square as a way for people to be banked within those nations, but then they realized that actually the money itself isn't like working within all of those nations. So you can't just provide the ability to bank them. You also need money that's going to be able to act as the the foundation of that system. So to me, if you can enable Bitcoin in those societies and you can enable entrepreneurship and communities and uh, that kind of growth, you create flourishing communities and flourishing societies. Um, It's just a matter of whether it can be actually deployed in those places, which is what we just kind of covered
2: so um before you leave before we, we go as a engineer and a designer what are you bullish on the these new ai bots and art and all the new stuff that's going to be coming out with these i'm improvements incredibly in AI?
0: bullish yeah yeah i'm excited i've already been using Chat gpt for like my work And it's genuinely, I mean, I literally have used code that GPT has written for me. So it's incredibly functional. I'm also not a nihilist from that perspective. I'm excited for a world where we don't have to be doing it. Essentially, again, it's another enabler of turning an idea into something that can improve societies. So I'm I'm really optimistic about AI. I do see the dangers, but yeah, I'm excited about how much it's going to enable and how much... You can just be an ideas person and create something off the back of that so i'm all for my career as an engineer being taken away from me <laughs> um how, how, as long as it means i can just have great ideas
1: <laughs> how did this discussion of ai explode all at the same time there were like three four five different apps i'm hearing about they're doing ai and it's happening all right now because the NFTs
0: got washed away man something else had to be discussed <laughs> Um, honestly I think it's just it's at a point where it's kind of mind blowing
2: yeah I mean this chat GPT just came out you know it's like it's all just hitting the market and exploding in popularity right away and it's really insane the funnest
0: one to do is ask you to write really complex emails for you and see how well it does it
2: I have a a try that one I was making it to uh, conversations between Norm Macdonald and Joe Rogan trying to explain Bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) There's so
0: many good ones. I've wasted many an hour on chat GPT so far. I've wasted a lot of time, but it has also genuinely saved me many hours of work. Also, so it's worthwhile. It's a great tool. I'm excited about it.
2: Absolutely. Well, will, unless uh, Mike's got some more questions for you. What do you got? Mike? Well, I
1: was gonna. I was gonna speak on. Um, I was doing Eminem re- like raps. And I like augmenting voices, just by typing it. I mean, this is like amazing. This kind of like eliminating how much work. And I'm, but it just made me think. Like, um, I feel like these people's voices are going to get rented out. Like they're just going to rent out their voices. That's a, this is what I started thinking about. Oh God, yeah. There's a whole lot of issues that will come out of it,
2: like in college football. Uh, they they're, they're now able to make money on their likeness is what it's called right like the like celebrities and these uh people with great voices whatever you're going to start being able to uh lease or or pay royalties to them to use their likeness in your your videos whatever they don't have to act anymore they don't have to show up and you don't have to record them they can just you can just pay a fee and you can get their image their voice their style their personality digitally represented in your in your content
1: i think that's the company sort of sort of model then uh, about these websites right it's gonna it's probably gonna turn into a paid service that you have to you know subscribe to this person or that person
2: yeah you're gonna have an agent like ari from entourage jeremy piven right he's gonna be calling people he's like he doesn't have to get vince out to new zealand to film aquaman it's just like all right we're gonna send the the hologram
1: I think, it'll be, gonna I think de- it'll be far more automated than that. Like you'll just be able to click and be like, Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're I'll gonna, de- take, you're I'll gonna take that
2: dematerialize celebrity.
1: Yeah, that's crazy to think about. To, you'd sort of um turn them into more more even more of a commodity in that way. Yeah. But the it's like the well, likeness yeah. of them.
2: It's crazy to think about. Uh, well well this is why
0: you simulate
1: your face too much on the
0: internet.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> well thanks for coming on thanks for uh responding to my request for you to come on but honestly i don't know if you had a choice exactly (laughs) great way to end it
1: yeah (laughs) oh that was good that was good i just got it thanks again for listening to the high hash rate podcast you can find us on twitter at high hash rate or you can hit up dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H R T L N D Bitcoin. Or myself, Mike, at Rundance Bitcoin. That's all one word, Run Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us.